Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I get a chance to sit down and have a chat with uh, someone that's, I think, disrupting the media uh, buy, planning and buying industry, and that's Martin Cass, CEO of MDC Media Partners and Assembly, from New, all the way from New York. Yeah, my, with my thick Brooklyn accent. Yeah, yeah, that's, you've got to work on that accent, Martin. Yeah, 14 years and I'm alive. <laughs> my, my kids all sound with, speak with a brilliant American accent, and uh, my wife and I still sound like this. So. Uh, they say water. <laughs> Trash. I can speak American. I have, right. the, I, have the, I have the language perfected now, but uh, uh, yeah, and my spelling is a little bit odd. So it's an um, interesting time to be in media, and you've been in media for a number of years. We won't say how many, because neither of us want to uh, 19, date us. 1988, I got my first job in London. Wow. I was 12. That's about the time I entered advertising in Melbourne, so yeah. you know, as a copywriter. Um, but uh, it's, it's challenging times, isn't it? Because you know, relationships between advertisers and ag media agencies especially are at an all-time low. I think that's what you were quoted as saying. It was at Ad Week last year? Uh, I I have, to, I, have to, I have to look back to exactly what I said, so I'm not going to, I'm going to neither confirm nor deny, but, but the paraphrase, the paraphrase will do just fine. Uh, I, I, you know what, it is the most bizarre time. There has never been a better time to be in the fulcrum of media uh, in the Marcom's world, because yeah. um, the, the way that people live their lives now is through media, whether it be social media, commentating, you know, the media is, because, is connecting people and things with the things they love, the people they want, it entertains, it informs, it does all of those things in ways that five years ago we could never have believed. Mm. And that interconnected, interdependent, always on social, searchable, and transactional world. I mean, buying shoes off Facebook. I mean, mm. you can imagine that maybe two years ago. Yeah. Buy my shoes, buy a shirt from Facebook and have it all made and it gets delivered in the post. Mm. You know that 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 is a world that um, is amazing, and uh, the, the 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 problem is that the world that people have inhabited and come from is that that change has been really hard for people to to manage, and um, the way that clients and agencies would interact in terms of financial relationships between them are, are fundamentally changing. Well, I, you know, we started seeing uh, in 2007, 2008, yeah. this absolute obsession from a procurement perspective and, a, and an advertiser perspective on driving costs down. Mm. You know, it was the response to the, the global recession was to get costs down. And so people were going and chasing deals and pushing the remuneration with their agencies down. Yeah. Um, and then a few years later, it turns around and suddenly everyone's talking about the fact that agencies are making more money often from the media owners in the forms of rebates, kickbacks and commissions. But in fact, media has always been based on commissions, hasn't it? Yeah, but that, I mean, there's, I think there's a multiple different questions in that one question. So the, the reality is that um, you're right, clients 
Uh, and I guess that's about right. The, the the back end of that recession suddenly procurement became very important in a media, and it was because I think that media was seen as a commodity. You know, well we can buy um, we can buy glass at this price or rubber for tires at this price, and we've been able to by consolidating it all into one place get that price down. And um, media was put under the same criteria. The trouble is the measurement of media is so poor that that price is is not a fun it's not fungible right so mm. the, you know what is a rating and the answer is the, if you did it on an all household basis it's reasonably accurate mm. you start getting down to niche audiences and as marketers begin to get into segmentation and understanding that you know there are different types of consumer who look the same roughly of age sex class but they're very different in the way they behave so as that sophistication came into the market as well the reality was well, if I'm moving to, let's say, 18 to 24-year-olds, the actual people meters was so poor that the, you know, was I buying 10 ratings, 10 GLPs, or was I buying five, or was I buying 15? If you actually looked at the, the mathematical curves that said, what's my level of confidence, the tighter the target audience, the less the confidence you mm -hmm. had. So the argument, I'm going to buy 100 ratings, was well, I am, and I have no idea whether I'm buying 100 ratings or not. It might be. It might be 100, it might be 120, it might be 80, but, you know, the, the system won't tell me. I also think um, uh, the ad tech companies have a role to play in here because, you know, when we first saw the rise of social media networks, mm. it was all about one-to-one -one and being able to build engagement and, and uh, you know, be able to target uh, particular, almost on an individual level. Yeah. Then, again, post the global recession, it's almost like the... Um, the investors in those technology companies said we need scale and we need mass because we saw a fundamental change in the way they talked about their, themselves as a media. They started talking about being able to get mass reach. We're a Super Bowl every day. Yeah, we, at a very low price. And so they were comparing themselves with traditional media, especially on things like a, a cost per thousand impressions was the way that yep. they were, you know, because traditional media was always talking about cost per thousand. And they were showing that they could be infinitely cheaper at delivering that same audience. Yeah, that's the pro. I, I think that is the, the biggest issue around for that was, and they were smart, right? Because they could. But that's the... Well, that's the except, sorry, but we, we then found out a few years later that, well, maybe half those people weren't actually people and uh, maybe they didn't actually see the ad because it was only one second and it was deemed to be viewed. But you can make the same. <laughs> I, I, I agree with everything, all of that and more, right? But here's the, here's the challenge. We, I, I did a presentation in 19, uh, 2004 to a bunch of brand managers at one of the world's largest CPG companies. Mm -hmm. And um, and I said, you know, we should be thinking about marketing like this. And the question came at the end. He said, well, listen, hold on a second. At least we can we know what we're getting with television. I almost fell off my chair. I said, well, hold on a sec. What do you mean you know what you're getting with television? The people meter says, I might have been, I'm in the room. What I'm doing in the room, I've no idea. Or the TV's on. The TV's on, on right? <laughs> right, okay. That's not really a great measure of, uh, you know, uh, of, of whether people are actually at either viewing, yeah. actively viewing, Participating, yeah. we get into these words of engagement. And why was I engaged? It's like I don't know. It wasn't the TV was on. Yeah. So the the demands of really how people live their lives and behave, and the ability to measure that back in two thousand ten that was just zero. There yeah. was there really was no thing. And so quite rightly, if you were a, a, a platform with uh, you know hundreds of millions of people on it, you said, well, I could run an ad on it. 
and I can put my hand up and say, I ran the ad, and you clicked and were around it. Well, it's not that different to being in the room when the TV may or may not have been. So, so I can see how they got there, and don't forget, what they were trying to do was get money out of television. So yeah. they were trying to get the share away from TV. So from a business perspective, I have no, no problem with the way they did it. I think that the, the reality is no one was sitting there going, well, hold on a second. Just, just before we do that, just, just stop. <laughs> Let's just check the uh, logic of this yeah, argument. Yeah, <laughs> and you also got, well, you also had a, another little, um, a bit later than that, you started to get some of the modeling work that was being done where you, know, you were seeing large touch attribution. Yeah. And so what was happening was, yes, they clicked off of a platform and they did something. Well, that must be the platform that caused that. And so everyone got obsessed with where do they come from? Mm. And the reality is a lot of times they were coming off of platforms so they were sitting in a train or doing something and they clicked and did something. Yeah. Didn't mean to say that's how they found out about it. No. Right? But And that's where attribution modeling suddenly became the big yes, thing to work out where they came to to get to that yes. platform. So multi-touch quick. attribution modeling but is, of course, is a pretty cool thing that we yeah. do. Because uh, uh, Google had a big incentive in convincing everyone that last click was the should be the way that it's attributed, and, because and most of the digital ecosystem did. Facebook, everybody had that that incentive, and the reality is what. Well, and I, Mark Pritchard, I think, was very interesting. He said something on the lines, and I can't remember the actual line, so I don't. I'm going to try and quote him. But the sentiment, going back to sentiment, was um, we spent too much money in digital. Yeah. And but I think what it was was that at the time we saw this huge focus on still going back to the original point, the cost of media. Well, uh, which is what makes it desirable because maybe. if you've got procurement there going, I want to get the CPM and the cost down, and I want to pay the agency less. And oh, hang on, here's an option that well, is that promises lower cost. Well, that's why I think PNG are a good case history because. They don't do that. My experience of working with them over a long period of time is that's not the way they think. They're not thinking, what's my cost per thousand at an agency? That, that's not, they don't think that way. So when he said, we're spending too much in digital, I think actually what he was really saying was, with a given budget, we have spent now substantial, we've shifted a lot of money out of our mm. core media that was driving traffic, and we've put it into media that perhaps doesn't drive so much traffic. And so what he got is he got, for lack of a better description, demand creation media in television and, and basically in TV, and demand capture media in digital. And the balancing act between those two things had got out of kilter. And what was happening was he just wasn't creating enough demand. And his brands were not as famous as they were, and consumers therefore had less incentive to click. So it's going back to the multi-touch attribution, what drives what? And there is no doubt, and we've seen a lot of this in our own work, that television, to this day, continues to drive traffic into other channels that pick it up and run with it. Mm -hmm. So you have to create that demand. And go back to early days of PNG, you know, you did TV because it got you to people on shelf in Walmart mm. or Coles or, or Woolworths, right? That it got you into those places. And then when you were in store, that's where you made your decisions. Well, the gap now, there's a huge bridge between those two places. There's a lot of bridge if you're a car company between seeing a car driving down the highway with a beautiful sea scene behind it, fantastic advertising, and walking into a showroom. And that, 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 those pieces mostly are digital. Hmm. So people search, they seek, they, they can price compare, they will look at um, uh, lots of blogs and they will go to people they trust, they will ask their friends, you know, on Facebook, a, a yeah. community is there talking it's about- It's all part of this funnel. That yeah, funnel, but, people down but it's not really a funnel because people sort of jump around yeah. that funnel the whole time. They go most of the way down and pop back up again. Hmm. And then they, I remember talking to... I think it's uh, still, people like the idea of the funnel because what it means is maximising awareness 
to get a few conversions. Yeah, simplistic. That, yeah, so it's, it's this idea, like if you could drive 100% awareness, you're not necessarily going to get 100% of sales. Yeah, uh, but I do think it's, I do think it's actually that that, that funnel has got everyone has got a lot of people, got a lot of us into trouble because it seems so logical you can bring people in the top. Oh yeah, they just order, uh, gravity drags them down to the bottom. It, it does not. No. <laughs> it really does not. And understanding that again, going back to why is data so important? Data can help to understand that path to purchase in a way that we couldn't before. Okay, so I see funnel as different from path to purchase. Well, so, call it a funnel, call it a path to purchase. But no, no, they're very different. A funnel is the ability to observe mm -hmm. the number of people at any particular stage in the, in the normal process. Now, you're right, they bounce up and they yep. go around and path to purchase makes an assumption that they will follow a particular path. Mm -hmm. At any point in time, you would be able to do research to get a sense of how many people are aware, how many people are in consideration, how many are actively yep. searching and how many are about to buy. That gives me almost always a funnel the f because the awareness and the about to buy yep. is always yep. you know, in that ratio. Path to purchase, I hate it when they draw it as this linear approach because human beings aren't linear. It's not linear. It goes backwards and forwards and you yeah, move and bounce around. They're like particle accelerators. They're but bouncing all over the electrons in, in the universe. And that's why the data is so important Yeah, because it starts to unravel some of those, whether they're myths or whether they're, they're, they're givens, some of those givens are beginning to be broken up because how do people make decisions about what they're going to do and they're very different. And so when you think about a target audience today, invariably within that target audience, you're gonna have multiple different hmm. target audiences. And when you think about the ability to advertising, advertising as a, think about top of the pyramid is a, is a big TV ad, hmm. then somewhere down there, there are lots of reasons to believe why you should buy whatever it is. And those reasons to believe Actually, funny enough, we can find out where people are going to search and seek about safety in yeah. automobiles or something. That requires you to be able to produce content that is about safety for that brand. So you always used to have there's a, there's a, there's a guiding light and there's all the reasons to believe that you should buy this product. Those reasons to believe, probably you can't afford to put them on TV. Hmm. But actually, you can put them into places where people are seeking and looking for and so on and so forth and actually start to build that brand in a much broader way than we used to Almost build. Almost like building beacons yeah. that will attract people as yeah. they move into what's yeah. important to them on the way of making a purchase decision. That's exactly, and challenging it. Because yeah. they also, when they say, for example, you're looking for a vehicle and maybe it's because you've got young kids and you want something that's very safe rather than something that's very fast, people start to look at safety and then they're not just gonna go, well, because it says it's safe, I'm cool. They're gonna wanna look at the the reviews, they're gonna to wanna to look at what journalists are saying. So the interrelationships of all these things are really important. But in a digitized world where most people are seeking this stuff out, you can follow that. Mm -hmm. And you start to understand how those decisions are being made. So empirically, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you know, we keep talking about in our business being roughly right. Stop trying to be precisely wrong because it will take you too long, you'll never get there. So tr we are careful not to try and get too academic because in, a, in academics, you're looking for perfection. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking to de-risk people's marketing. Yeah. And I you know, said before, it, no. It, uh, the equation that uh, you raised earlier, 50-50, you know, half my, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you can move it anywhere towards, you know, better than 50%, not wasted, yes. then you've improved. Well, and then can you get the, can you, so to go back to the question about procurement, can you acquire the assets you need at the best possible price? Mm. The price is what is right for you. It's not what's right for 
you know, Johnson and Johnson isn't necessarily right for PNG. I mean, mm. there are different price points that you require to purchase. But in the same way as when someone is buying stock, they have a different price profile than others. So some people will shorten, some people will take it long. And what they're trying to do is say, what do we think the value of it is? Not mm. what does the market think the value of it is. The market's dumb, right? We need to be smarter than the market. Mm. So if you can be smarter than the market and you're buying the right assets at the right price. And for you. For you. Mm. That builds brands and builds businesses. And it may be that you might need to pay more for a certain asset, which is why this this idea of price is so crazy. So this is a very different model to the traditional media planning and buying model, isn't it? Yep. Because the media planning buying model sat down and usually said something along the lines of, we want to get such and such reach, certain amount of frequency, we want, here's our specific target audiences. We develop a strategy, a plan, then we do a buy and we measure it against that reach and frequency targets. Yes. This is totally different. Well, it's not totally different. It's just actually being able to do exactly what you've described, but you then are sub-segmenting that out into, it's not my amorphous target audiences where we were before because the measurement was so bad. You can measure everything in quite detail. So now it's saying, and it's not really reach and frequency. I don't care about reach and frequency Mm -hmm. because reach and frequency is, all that is is a, a proxy do people take any notice of you? Regional frequency has been, a, it's been linked to awareness, and we've used awareness as a, a proxy that, for, that's for what knowledge. I mean. In that before it was all about awareness and just yep. telling people things and hoping that they'd then fall yes. down into being yes. customers. But it's also Whereas about now you're talking about actually looking at opportunities of, of almost tracking and, and moving people forward yeah. by providing the right message at the right place at the right time in the right format at the right price yeah but also just one thing i want to make clear that because the problem with that is if you just did that and you assume that by getting more and more targeted and more and more specific you're going to sell more product not right you've got to make and which is why i said before we've looked at a lot of these models where television is really important Mm. because television talks to everybody you know it makes brands famous yeah if you Still are, does. yeah, but if you are not, uh, if people aren't interested in your brand for whatever reason it might be, because it looks good or it feels good or it makes me feel good or uh, in the luxury markets and there's not, not much logic about a purchase, but even if it's a even if it's a car, if there's something specific that it says that has a mass appeal, mm. then television's great, and it's the it's the blend between how you are building your brand in terms of making people, as many people as you possibly can aware of it and knowledgeable about it and give them a reason to buy. And then you break into its constituent parts of picking off those people in the, in the, in the if you, and Proctor would use the word, I go back to Proctor, there's a strategic target, anyone that might buy my product, but then there are prime prospects of big enough groups of people whom I can affect with different messaging over time in a sequence that will actually get them more likely to purchase or take action. That's what the clever part about marketing and media has become, and why media needs to be more sophisticated than the way you described it, which was we buy everything as cheaply as we possibly can. I think procurement are coming along on that journey. Mm-hmm. I think they're coming along on that journey, and, and procurement's had a bad rap, right? I mean, if, if you can't measure it, then of course you're gonna be looking for it to buy it cheaper, because it doesn't matter. You know, if I, if I have no idea whether this is better than that, which one's cheaper? If I can empirically tell you which one's better than that, that actually I can make a value equation between those two different things. And if I, and more to the point, I can actually say, listen, I can buy all these people or I can buy half of them, which half do I want? Mm. I'm prepared to pay more for one half. 
because I'm not buying the wastage. Mm. So ironically, you pay a high CPM. Yeah, That's the craziness, craziness people have got themselves in around price. But it's been done because of the measurement systems were terrible. The measurement systems are not terrible anymore. They're just not the measurement systems that people trade off of. Well, but there are still global clients incentivizing their agencies on lower CPMs. Yeah. And these are the same clients that are using uh, media benchmarking. Yep as a way of tracking whether that uh, they're delivering on their performance, which is to reduce cost per thousand. Yeah. Well, it's a journey. I, I mean, mean, there's still consumer packaged goods clients that use this as, as their main media metric. Yeah, there may be. And I think that they will change over time in the same way as they're, you know, um, I was talking to you earlier about Moneyball and the baseball teams yeah, in America. Yeah. And, you know, it started off as one team did it. Then the Red Sox did it and won a World Series. Now everyone does it. Yeah. If you look at cricket in this country, you know, I bet you, um, you know, there was a little bit of sophistication around um, uh, what was happening in terms of, you know, can we measure that speed and where he pitches the ball on a regular basis, Hawkeye and all these technologies. And some coaches were using it, but a lot weren't. Now everyone uses it. Yeah. So I think as it becomes more proven and becomes more um, sophisticated, everyone will start to move down this road. And what you will start to see is the measurement systems of the past will just get people just go no and 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 you think about uh, people meters and the difference between a people meter and a set top box and the mm -hmm. data that can come back off a set top box versus a people meter and people only use the people meter because that's the trading currency mm. right doesn't mean to say that has anything whatsoever to do with does it work or not mm. but it does and it's been good enough but things will move on and those measurements will get more sophisticated and you'll see evolution things will change so I, I agree then. And by the way, if you're a global company, the biggest problem you've got is many of your markets can't do the things I'm talking about. Mm. And the because agencies the, within those the markets data can't is, the data is not available and the markets are not as sophisticated? Uh, probably the latter, not, yeah. the, not the former. I don't think there's much data. I don't think there is a data shortage. No. Well, in fact, there's probably one of the big challenges for marketers is that there's too much data yes. and they're completely overwhelmed by which data are they meant to look at. Well, that's why. So I, I've, I've I, um, spent a lot of time talking to analysts. We've, we've got, um, I don't know, 20 or so in New York and a whole bunch in, in, in Los Data Angeles. scientists. Well, there's a difference between data scientists and data analysts. We won't yeah, get into that. Um, the, the reality is you ask them, well, I, I made the dumb mistake. And by the way, every time they leave in the evening, the IQ of the building goes down by 20%. So, I mean, you know, these PhDs and, and they're very, very specialist in what they do. And I made the, the real dumb mistake of saying to, well, what data do you actually need? And I had a withering look from the guy and he said, I'll tell you what I don't need. You get me everything. Yeah. Right. Because the beauty of what they do is you could, and one of this language of big data is you bring as much into the system as possible because that will make the system more accurate, right? It's the uh, science of big numbers. The bigger the numbers... But the, actually, the bigger the numbers, the better the chance of being successful. That's right. And you can, you can work out what's not important, hmm. right? Mathematically do that. Yeah. That's the beauty of the system. And that's why the more information you can gather, the better it is. And then that starts to allow you to make decisions that are going you a higher level of confidence than a lower level. I mean, even when I was doing mathematics at school, there was this, what's my level of confidence of this mathematical equation being correct, my R squared, Yeah. you know? And, um, you know, you get to a certain level of confidence and that's good. That's good enough for me. That's fine. Yep. It's roughly right, not precisely wrong. Because no, precisely so wrong- two, two, two standard deviations will be fine. That'll be fine, right? <laughs> so if you get an R squared of, I know, 85 or something, yeah. that's just fine, thank you very mm -hmm. much. If you can get better than that, that's really good. You can explain most of what's going on. Yeah. That's the, 
that's the that's the way we've we've tried to take the business with our with our business. Okay, I've got a question for you because I've got quite a few friends that are data scientists, data analysts, and data visualizers. Yep. Right? They say the hardest part in their life is actually being able to, when they identify an insight, to be able to actually communicate that to the people that can actually right. do something to the, with it. Wow, right? you must have been you must have been in my office recently. So we've just. So how do you overcome that? Because um, that's such a big leap. You know? Yes. I mean, yep. when I talk to my friends that are mathematicians. Um, it's an interesting conversation, but they say most people don't get what they're talking about. Right. So um, uh, yes, that's absolutely right. So we've we've invested quite a bit. We have the same problem, and um, two-dimensional visualization on a spreadsheet is really no. hard. No. So um, we've just invested a substantial amount of money in um, building um, what's well, actually four D. It's three D, but you can yeah, use sure. a fourth dimension. Uh, Oculus Rift technology to actually be able to show that. So we have we've done pitches now with clients wearing VR uh, in the room, and it's quite it's quite odd. And you they, they they've got the they've got the the, the handheld sticks, yep. and you you've got one on. You say okay, so point click on here, and we're going to look at this particular anomaly because we we can turn the data around mm. and start to look at it. So, well, take a look at that. That's odd. That's an outlier. Why? It's very successful market. Mm. Click, and that can then bring out. You can start to look at well, why is that so successful? And you can actually start to see these things in 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 three D. It makes an enormous difference. And the other thing is, it's, that, it's well, this is where it's, data, it's catnip data, in a pitch as well. By the way, yeah, absolutely, they'd love it because data visualization is a way of turning you know these huge numbers into something people can see and relate to. Yes, simplicity. Yeah. You've got to be able to show because mathematics and science and all these things are really good, but this having them on their own is absolutely useless. Hmm. And that's why I go back to uh, academic versus practical. And it's the balancing act between having enough academic rigor to be able to say, I am confident enough to say you should do this. And the clients, many of the clients have these people in-house as well now, and they can talk to each other and say, yeah, statistically and mathematically, these equations, algorithms, we believe in them, they're good, they're good enough for us to, to, to pass muster. And then the marketers and the business decision makers can go, right, now help me to understand it better. That's where data visualization comes in. Yeah, um, another friend who's an actuary. Yep. Uh, uh, we were talking about media, traditional media, and um, predictive modeling. Yep. And he goes, but they're trying to predictive model on four variables. Mm. And he goes, we wouldn't do it for less than like 250 to 500 variables. Yep, so that he's right. And we, we, that's why I said to you right at the beginning, how, you know, how do you deal with this big data? Well, the more you, and the, where I was made to look a fool, which was, what do you need? I'll tell you what I know. <laughs> yeah, you give, give me, me everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. I will demonstrate to you the statistical differences. So by the way, you can take 3D visualization and throw every data source into it and it looks like just a, looks like a mass of mess. Yes, but like only someone when threw up. So they start to filter. Yeah. They start to filter yeah. and filter and filter to find what's important. And they're looking for what are the things that are going to make a difference. And also practically levers that you can pull. Because sometimes you can't pull the lever. There's no, there's no, there's no means of differentiating these two things. You can't do it, so don't bother about it. Mm. So that's where the difference comes between people that are academics and people that are able to actually then turn that into useful information to make decision making. So it's great having information, but if you mm. can't draw insight out of it from which you can draw implications, you're kind of screwed. What, what's the, there's a hierarchy, isn't there? It goes uh, data, information, insight knowledge, wisdom. 
I haven't seen that, but that's exactly you are yeah, describing it's, it's, exactly right. It's yeah. about how do you ladder up each one because the higher you get, the more useful it is. Yeah, and I got religion because I started looking at this in sport. Right. I mean, we literally started to play around with you know going meeting people that were doing this in a world of. Well, like Moneyball. Moneyball, you, 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 you said you ran into you. you were yeah, the guy that was the Jonah Hill character in Moneyball yeah. went to the Boston. Everyone says, well, Moneyball doesn't work because the. Um, I don't know how many people know what I'm talking about. The Oakland A's, which is a yeah. very poor team, never won a, super, um, never won a World Series. Yeah. The reality is the same guy went across to, uh, or the team went across to, uh, Billy Bean didn't go, but some of his team went across to the Boston Red Sox and they subsequently used the same methodology, methodology yeah. to win the World Series. And we came across. That, that group of people and um, that guy and uh, you listen to what they talk about and you listen to them say we never won a World Series all we did was help them to understand the things that were missing and the things they needed in their team mm. statistically they couldn't tell them whether they were good players or not which is a great metaphor for modern media because exactly. the fragmentation of markets the fragmentation of channels means that a traditional sort of two-dimensional view of the media landscape, i.e. where the advertiser and out there is the customer we want to reach, yep. has become infinitely more complex. Yeah, and infinitely more infectable. So this, this, it is the tyranny of choice, right? Mm -hmm. So you can either take it as, it's a nightmare, oh my God, let's do the same things we always did simply. And that's where you get back to, let's do it cheap and let's do this and let's do that. Versus actually embracing the the complexity, getting that complexity into a system that allows you to see the wood for the trees, for lack of mm. a better word, and then actually action that. The beauty of that is, it's the same way as the super smart traders do that. The the, the seller has no idea why they're buying what they're buying. They, mm. don't, they don't know. And as long as the seller is working from, and it used to be, don't forget, sellers used to be the ones with all the information. Yeah. They're not anymore. No. Yeah? The, deer's have, the deer has gun. You know, we're the, we're the deer, we have a gun now. Yeah. So suddenly that, that relationship has fundamentally changed. You know, the, the hunter is the hunted. And it, it's flipped. And so many people don't get that. And that's why the, the value equation has completely changed. Completely changed. So, so that's interesting as well, because I imagine that being able to take this approach, this data-enabled, uh, data insights, um, means that you know, compared to a traditional media approach, this would be much more, for instance, time and labour intensive, wouldn't it? Would well, would have did with people. Yeah, we don't do it with people. All oh, right, it's all technology. Well, most of the things that we try and do are so. What you've what and again, it still takes people media to do insight. So media is a magic world of having it is impossibly complicated to deal with by hand and yet we still deal with it by hand mm -hmm. it's like trying to build you know a modern car literally hand by hand and that's still the way media is dealt with if you think about the technologies that exist to actually connect all these things together they don't exist mm. and that's to the benefit of the seller and to a degree the benefit of the agencies because they can actually charge an FTE model and then, by the way we need thousands of people to do all this work because yeah. it's very labor intensive and it is if you can remove as many of those keystrokes as possible by using technology to help you, you can reduce your human touch. Mm. The other thing about the human touch is humans are really good at certain things and really bad at others. They're not great at taking a billion lines of data and 50 terabytes of information and analyzing. They're very poor at that. It would, they couldn't do it. 
But what they can do is once that date, once they've actually programmed and looked at, okay, what is important and what isn't, you can have really smart people to say, I think there's an insight in here, mm -hmm. not just information. Yeah. And agencies have been really bad at differentiating information and insight, really bad. And we've had, we went, we, and I was there as much as anybody else, you know, a world of let's have a strategist. And the idea of a strategist was someone that, you know, thought big thoughts and trends and could, could distill this stuff. But the trouble is they were distilling humanly, they were trying to absorb it themselves. A strategist now has got to be someone that can read the data and understand what it's telling them in a way that they can draw insights from that information. The analysts are the ones that help them to remove the wood for the trees and say, these are the five things that are important. Go back to my baseball analogy. These are the five things that are important. I don't know which the guy, which the best players are because I don't know whether in their heart they want to play, whether they're drunks, abusive their wives and drive cars off a cliff. I don't know. That's not my job. That's your job as the human in the mix to choose those people. And there is still an but now, enormous- now it's being informed by- Roughly right. Yeah. De-risking. You've got yeah. to de-risk it. It's too much money out there. You've got to de-risk it. So you've been doing this approach for four years. Mm -hmm. Is there a move towards developing a model, remuneration model, that is performance and value based rather than just a fee for service? Because it seems to me that this is quite a focused approach to delivering a measurable outcome other than your spots ran. Yep. So uh, the answer is yes, but not quite in the way you've described it. I think the um, there's still too many parts of the mix that are uh, out of anyone's control who sits in my world. Right. Um, price, distribution. Um, who the hell would have known there would be you know a commission um, coming down on banking in a market mm -hmm. or uh, or anything. Right. right. So there are there are external forces that spread through media ironically. And PR is so much more important than ever was before. So we, we still only control what we can control because there are controllable elements. So we tend to take it on a view that there are two pieces to any piece of the, the way we operate. One of which is a consultancy base, which mm -hmm. is like a consultant gets paid for great advice, advice that's really useful. It, you, you can advise, you can encourage, and you can cajole. But in the end, we don't run the companies that we work with. So in the end, it might be someone's choice that no, they don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do it. It's too risky. Don't want to do it. That's a choice. That's not our choice. Then we'll, so we, we, we get paid well for that. And that's what we do. We get paid substantial amounts of money for doing um, economic, economic modeling, the modeling work and so on and so forth um, to be able to make that advice. And clients can choose to take it or not. I mean, I can join a gym and it costs me $1,000 a month. If I don't go, I'm still fat, drunk and stupid and go through life that way, as they said on that house. $1,000 less for uh, each month. Yeah, but that's, that's fine. I, don't, I can't force people to do the things. With, mm. Now, we're lucky enough to have, when we set out, we, we set out with a really simple mantra, which is we wanted to work with the most sophisticated clients in the world. And everyone goes, well, that's great, but what about the big ones? He said, no, they will be the big ones of the future. That's fine. I yeah. want to be in there when they're, they're not necessarily and help them grow. And by doing that, I think we found that they're more sticky. Um, and when, and by the way, some clients that you said earlier, some of these com companies aren't interested in this. And we've seen that. So when we go to pitch, we probably turn, mount, turn down more opportunities than we take to go into pitch. Mm. Simply because you can smell out quite quickly uh, someone that's doing exactly the, what, you, what you described before. And quite a lot of people and consultancies who are advising those clients are in the middle of all of this as well, 
because they want to get paid by the client. So, yeah. you know, and, they, and they're doing a pitch and it's like, how cheap can you go? How low can you go? Can you give me a hundred days? I just don't, we just don't do it. And, mm. and it, actually that's proven to be a good thing for us. A good um, rule of thumb. Yeah, and I don't want us to come across as being just mathematicians and nerds and, you know, that's not, don't forget we are owned by probably the most, uh, the, the holding company with this, well, they'll shoot me for calling them a holding company, but the partner company with the most lauded creative assets in the world, mm. 72 and Sunny, Crispin Porter. The whole of this started, and it goes back to the day we started talking about this company, was why do you need to have a media organization in the middle of MDC? And it came from a guy called John Boiler. John Boiler is the founder of 72 and Sunny, was a widening Kennedy, really brilliant guy. And I sat down with him and said, John, what do you think of media agencies? And he said, oh, they're great, great partners because you know, I'm an agency and, I'm a, and, I, and eventually about 20 minutes, he said, you know what, and I, there was an expletive I won't use, I hate media agencies. Every time I give them an idea, it gets 30% worse. Mm. Our job is to make those ideas 30% better. And in a media world where everything is interrelated, touch, people live their lives like that, it is insane that he could say that. But he says it because there's this, there's this fight and journey to the bottom which is driven by that whole price piece you're talking about in an environment where that is the hmm. exact opposite of what you should be doing. And it wasn't really being very bright to work that one out. Once you have stayed, stayed away from the business for a year and looked at it and went, that's crazy, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I joined uh, JWT uh, in Australia when that, the month that they separated media out to become Mindshare, yep. right? And I understand the business thinking that separated media away, but I think, that it's been proven that what was lost is this idea of what's more important, the message or the medium that it's delivered in. And the fact is that today, the mediums provide more insight and more information about the customer or the consumer than any other source. You know, the idea of going and doing market research is almost irrelevant because you've got so much information about And that media agencies and creative agencies actually being together means that you change the model so that instead of media being the last five minutes of the yep. presentation, it's actually the first 10 minutes to say, this is what we know about your customer based on the data that's available to so us. So I think you've nailed exactly what our view of the world is that the creative and media in those those terms that split away all that period of time ago will come back together, but not in the way I think no, the creative agencies be. thought they would, yeah. which is, well, we'll carry on telling you what to do. That's not gonna happen. It's got, we, we collaborate within MDC around the data. Hmm. And, um, you know, there's lines that get used, but you know, I tell you what, a, a data scientist or a data analyst does solve most arguments, hmm. right? Because <laughs> there's the numbers. <laughs> you can choose them. Well, I went back to you can't you can't force someone to do something. New, but that, that's all the evidence that says ninety. You know, I'm I'm eighty five percent certain that's exactly what you should be doing. And they go, no, we're going to do this. Yeah. Completely different. It's like, okay, it's a waste of time. Well, it's I, a much yeah. more profitable business to work like that because you waste so much less time. Clients are so much quicker to got it right. It's all about. Pick whatever it is. Yeah. It's all about this is the this is the area that we need to be working on. This is the these are the sensibilities of people. These are the people. Now let's go and do the creative work. 
How many times have you sat in a creative presentation? Well, there are seven different ways into this idea. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. There's one way into the idea, and that's the one that's going to make you the most money or have the most influence. Well, I mean, uh, the single biggest thing is actually understanding the market. You know, a client brief comes through and says, uh, uh, women with grocery, not even women, grocery buyers with children uh, up to 15 years of age. You hand that to a data scientist or a data uh, analyst and they'll come back and go, well, there's potentially 57 different personas in that broad category. Which one's the most which, valuable? Which, and, and these seven are most likely to buy your product yeah. based on past behavior. So now we've got a very focused well, understanding of where the real value yeah. is in this very broad um, demographic. The most the most gratifying thing work I think that and certainly the one that's been has won the most effies and mm. you know, all those things have been the times where we've collaborated with the creative agency and actually done exactly what you've described and the creative agency is smart enough open mm. enough willing enough open enough and that and honestly we're lucky we're finding our, our group to be very open actually one of the biggest successes has nothing to do with our group it's actually completely outside of our, our network where the agency just went actually the client drove it but the and the client was enlightened to say let's do it this way and we actually completely fundamentally changed the target audience of a pretty uh, established marketplace the business has outperformed the marketplace substantially mm -hmm. and over half of the new accounts have not come from the traditional people you would expect them to, they've come from the new group that we went after. And the creative is, it's a market where you look at the creative and everyone looks the same. It's about price, it's about all of these things. And the advertising that was created as a result of looking at the people, the audience we thought was the most ripe, mm. is absolutely different. Right. And made a difference in the market. Now we don't do the creative, we don't do nothing to do with us. No. And the creative is brilliant and it's really well executed. Mm. Fabulously well executed. But they knew exactly who they were going after because yeah. we could prove it. Which makes great creative. So uh, look, we've run out of time. It's been cool. great uh, having a chat. I've got one last uh, question for you. Uh, we've finished talking about creative agencies. Yeah. Which is your favorite one? Mm.